Keep your hands and head inside the vehicle at all times. Buckle your seatbelts, check your mirrors, sit on back and relax. It's lights out and away we go for the Tall and Short of It podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Tall and Short of It podcast coming to you live from a roll in the back of the toaster. I'm your host, Justin. And I'm Aaron, crispy and ready to go. How are you doing, man? Good to see you. I am toasted, crispy, and on a roll. How are you? Call him Butter, because he's on a roll. Uh, I am doing good. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, It's been a pretty pretty good week. Uh, not too much eventfulness uh, since this past week. How's your week been? Um, what's been going on? Not a whole lot. If you don't mind, I'll get right into the rose, thorn, and seed here for the week. So I'll start with my rose. Me and Sarah have been working on updating a little, like some of our bookkeeping stuff. Um, So one of the things that was awry and errant and uh, didn't really have a good plan was our gift certificate system. Um, We had it just like randomly written down on a whole bunch of different pieces of paper. The numbers didn't line up. We didn't really have like a good way of like tracking things. Um, So we moved all those paper handwritten things to just uh, an Excel sheet that's like color coded and just has basic information that we'll both be able to access and both be able to update um so i'm very pleased about that i'm looking forward to like getting to use it sarah said she already like got a call went in made a change and you know did did the little order of events that we both outlined and uh so she was like yeah that's great that was pretty fun um so happy about that idea happy that we got some organization going um And then my seed here for the week, we made some repairs around the apartment that have been on the list here for a little bit. And a unforeseen um, bonus from that not only was the, you know, the problem fixed and not an issue anymore, but it was like doubled over in Sarah's like mood. I think it for whatever reason was a large weight off her shoulders it was just like maybe a big check mark check mark off a off a box she didn't like make it aware that it was that much of a priority but just like her mood after the fact was just like oh whoa that must have been um you know pretty big so we were happy to get that stuff done um and i will think about that in the future when you know maybe i think something small it, to her it could be you know xyz amount bigger um so i just have to keep that in mind and you know maybe just get things done in a more timely fashion so i think that was an interesting interesting seed here for the week yeah and i would say even just uh the thought of like touching base if there's something like that that you're like uh eh, like i don't know just being like hey like where's your head at on this like is it something we can put off for a little bit or is it something you feel like we should get knocked out quickly and then from there kind of uh to be able to um gauge plan of action off of that yeah yeah for sure um so i think moving forward it'll just be um you know a little bit smoother and then my thorn here for the week uh less of a thorn more of like um an idea that I came across that I think I will use in the future to maybe maybe reframe a a future thorn. 
Um, so it was put in an analogy where it was like, all right, so imagine you're standing on a beach and you're just watching the waves come in, you know, just one after the other, just kind of lolling up against the sand. And just as, just as soon as they come in, they go out again. Now think of these waves as, or you, for whatever reason, have deemed some of those waves good and some of those waves bad. And what you want to do is you want to keep these good waves and you want to push away the bad waves. So imagine yourself like trying to hold on to like a, a wave that's crashing on the shore at the same time as you're like kicking away the ones that you've deemed bad. And these are the, the waves are an analogy for your thoughts where they are just things that are passing. <clears throat> and the idea of like trying to hold on to the good ones, kick away the bad ones it looks just as ridiculous as if you were trying to do that on a beach with waves and just the imagery of the idea when it was put, it made me laugh out loud and giggle. I was like, that's so ridiculous because I pictured me immediately in a bunch of these scenarios. And I was like, that was exactly me. That's exactly what I was trying to do. I was trying to like hold on to these, you know, this force of nature, something I have no control over. I was trying to hold on to it and capture it while at the same time say get away to the bad ones it's just a ridiculous image and uh it made me laugh out loud so i've thought of it multiple times just you know just in every day and um i think it's an interesting way to think about how thoughts come to you during the day and an interesting strategy to like think about what that is and how to handle them yeah i think that's a, a good thought it's um Something that I've talked about in therapy with my therapist is like when I'm anxious or when I have these uh, these different um, things that I'm I'm struggling with and whatnot to remind be able to remind myself that my like thoughts and my emotions or like my my reaction my anxiety and stuff doesn't make whatever it is a fact like i could be just anxious or stressing about a hypothetical situation that that could pertain to something real but that i just don't know what the result will be um mm -hmm. and kind of uh over attributing those feelings that i have to be like, oh, that's what this is, as opposed to being like, like you said, it, they're all, it's all thoughts, it's all things that your mind is working through and everything. Um, thoughts don't necessarily, like, I don't know if thoughts are necessarily good or bad, they're just thoughts. It's like really how you take them or uh act upon them that that kind of results in that that good or bad so mm -hmm. yeah it adds that kind of shading to them um so i just thought that was interesting couple of foods for thought here on my rose thorn and seed here for the week but i'm interested to hear uh hear what you got for the week yeah so uh for my rose this week i will start off uh with just uh what i'd like to deem accountability hour i wanted to bring up once again my calisthenics because uh, I was able to get a few more workouts in in the past week. Um, I think I worked out three times since last uh, episode. I have felt increasingly like better after each one as like not 
overly sore. My body's starting to get used to it. Um, and so that, that feels pretty good. And I'm able to like now look towards what my kind of progression looks like as I continue building this strength and all, and then, uh, work into more intermediate or challenging exercises that are, uh, a little more involved. So that was uh, a positive that I was able to kind of keep the momentum going, um, with that this week. Um, my thorn this week, uh, at work, I just, uh, I had some, it was mostly today, just, uh, some tougher situations with, uh, people unexpectedly extending or changing their move out dates and kind of messing with incoming people and my planning that I had, um, for, my move-ins and move-outs and all. So I'm Mm -hmm. kind of playing Tetris a little bit, which is annoying and stressful. Uh, So uh, fitting each block into the right place and everything. Um, So it is what it is. It'll be all right, but it's it's not the ideal situation. So I've been a little little stressed about that uh, since earlier today. but my seed, something that is going to take away some of my stress is uh, the student loan forgiveness that was uh, announced today from the president. Uh, going to be, he's going to be forgiving like I think ten to twenty thousand dollars of people's federal student loans based on different criteria and all. And so I think I fall into uh, into that. So that should uh, wipe out a little bit of my student debt. So that's uh, a nice little positive, uh, at the end of my day today to, to see on the news. Oh, wow. That's, um, yeah. And this is the first time I'm hearing about that. So I will, um, I'll definitely look into that. That's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. And I imagine a massive weight off, off your shoulders and the shoulders of many that's, uh, yeah, that's some great news. Yeah, and just thinking, uh, it's uh, occupied a decent bit of my thoughts since I heard, and I was, uh, it's, I've thought through whether I meet certain criteria for like more forgiveness or whatnot, and uh, everything, and just the the thought of having that one bill decrease in my monthly expenses by a, a pretty decent amount. Um, just is a nice, nice plus. So, um, hopefully, I, I mean, I'll, of course, there's all the processes and bureaucracy of how that actually happens and when that happens. Um, but hopefully, before too long, that will uh, will go into place, and I'll be a, a happy camper. So, it's interesting. They call it forgiveness. Like they're like you have to be apologizing that you wanted to go to school and like wanted to educate yourself they're like you know that was that was a pretty dumb thing to do but we we forgive you here yeah. here you go we we forgive you i think that's a funny word to use for that yeah and uh for and for anyone depend i i don't know if anyone's listening that has opinions on it um but either way like I just know it helps me. It helps a lot of other people. Um, and I think uh, people should be able to get an education without without really being a detriment to their li- lives and all. Uh, so hopefully that will 
also um, have some forward effects for for future generations because like you said yeah like going and getting uh yourself educated and all shouldn't be this big thing that has to be forgiven like oh you you messed up you wanted to to be smarter and learn loser like yeah like how dare you man how dare you so um so yeah that's a exciting thing uh for me especially like it's something that's always a, a monthly consideration and so hopefully that will uh will not be as big a deal um but that is my rose thorn and seed for this week that is uh that's quite an exciting quite an exciting seed i'm happy to hear it um another uh interesting upcoming thing we have the belgian grand prix but as i understand it you have some other uh motorsport things you want to hit yeah um so just a couple of uh, quick notes. So, um, I saw this during the week, but there's a driver, um, F2 driver named Tatiana Calderon, who is going to be, uh, partnering with Enzo Fittipaldi and driving for, um, blanking on, uh, driving for Sharu's system, uh, team in F2. So that's pretty cool. I think she's driven in F2 before, but I believe she's the only, uh, F2 female driver that we've had in, um, in F2 history. So that's just kind of a a cool thing, um, to, to have some more diversity and, and hopefully see someone, uh, be able to compete well and, and see kind of what they bring to the table. Um, so I thought that was a a pretty cool thought because over the past, however many years, I can't imagine that there's been, uh, too many, female drivers who have who've made it quite that far in the the systems um outside of like fully women racing series like the w series and things like that yeah i'm curious how i'm curious how her times stack up and if she would be the kind of driver that just like all merit like just man or woman if she would get a look from a formula one team to go test i'm curious what her because i i'm not too privy to this what are her times like what are her results like how has she been performing so as far as i'm aware and just as a um like from her from what i was briefly reading online um it doesn't seem like she's been exceptional necessarily um Mm. she has been racing for quite a while in, uh, just in general. Um, she has been a test driver, uh, in formula one as well as formula E. So she was a test driver, um, for Alfa Romeo, uh, back in 2018, um, 2019, 20, oh, 2020 and 2021. So she's been, um, been doing this for a bit as a test driver or development driver. Um, but she, in her actual performances, uh, in like F2, it looks like she hasn't been super successful. So Hmm. gotcha. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's had a lot, she has a ton of experience. She's participated in, uh, just anything from, formula three to gp3 um 
F1 test driver, Formula E test driver. Um, she's driven in the Le Mans 24-hour, in Super Formula, in IndyCar, like just kind of all over the uh, all over the table. Sure, just kind of wherever she can get a drive, whatever is interesting. Yeah, which is which is cool because she's uh, it shows like her passion for for racing and everything. So it's uh, whether she is super successful or not, still cool um, to potentially kind of open the door for for more um, women drivers and and diversity in the sport uh, in the future, which is uh, which is a cool thing. Yeah, it seems like an individual like that breaking into the scene i don't want to say i don't want to say that obviously she's been doing it for a long time what what am i what am i getting at like so the joining of the new team has put her name in the headlines to a certain degree right yeah this is the first time i'm hearing about it i'm curious what what this kind of exposure, not only for a racer like that, but also other racers that may be in that same, maybe same kind of class, same kind of boat, where they've got a bunch of different, a bunch of skill sets from a bunch of different series. I'm curious how, what it looks like when they're, when they're trying to, you know, put it all together and make a shot at like one seat, you know, in formula one. I think that's, I think that's quite interesting. I, I look forward to, you know, hearing her name more in the future. That's kind of fun. Yeah. And whether, whether it's her or any, anyone else, I think it's a, it's a cool um, thing to kind of keep an eye on. Um, and the fact that she does have all that experience from many different uh, series and everything, like you're saying, is just uh, a positive, I think, in terms of what she can bring to a team. Because she has, uh, she can kind of, if she's able to drive that many cars at a high enough level to compete in these series and be test driver and everything then she definitely must have a good feel for how those cars drive and all. And so that is a big thing when it comes to to just racing in general, to be able to feel out the car and all. And so whether it's actually as a racer or a test driver, it seems like she has uh, enough to bring to the table that that some teams have wanted to have her apart. So uh, a very cool thing. Um, Speaking of other uh drivers and multiple uh race series we got to see Kimi Raikkonen um go on a a little bit of a charge through his NASCAR race until uh an unfortunate accident took him out um but that was it was pretty cool he uh I think had made it up to ninth place from starting around 22nd if I remember correctly um before uh the accident took him out of the race so that uh i love seeing uh kimmy was doing his thing and and looked pretty good out there i it's fun to see him race yeah and that's um interesting especially it didn't seem from the coverage that we saw last year i guess it was from the coverage we saw last year it didn't seem like he had plans that he was talking about so i was really surprised to see that where it i would imagine he didn't spend much time in between that and you know training for you know training for 
whatever his next series was and you know it's for the um at least this nascar cup race which is pretty fun so it's nice to see and just like you know many other drivers have done it it's nice to see them not not leaving motorsport entirely but just you know saying my time in this thing's done but i'm gonna go kick some butt over here yeah and go and have some fun it seems like he that's what he enjoys doing the yeah. opportunity proper proper probably holy cow um <laughs> probably uh just kind of fell into his lap and um he doesn't seem like someone who's gonna turn down uh doing some fun driving so uh definitely cool to see him out there again um couple other, I'll, I'll get through these notes real quick. Uh, the Sauber F1 team, which is currently Alfa Romeo, uh, is selling 75% of the team to Audi. Um, so we'll see how that shapes up, if that ends up being Audi as a team in F1, if they'll continue uh, with the Alfa Romeo branding and just be more of an ownership factor. Um, not really sure how that'll go, but... Um, Moving along, uh, Antonio Giovinazzi is going to be driving for uh, Haas in FP1 sessions at Monza as well as the Circuit of the Americas. Um, I don't know, kind of a, an odd choice in my mind uh, to bring Antonio back. He had a pretty rough formula e season uh, he finished 23rd out of 24 racers um he did have eight dnfs which i i don't know whether they were uh due to him or to like other drivers or what or car issues or what um so maybe it was just bad luck that he didn't get many points uh in in the standings right but, um after kind of falling out of F1, not performing super well in Formula E, uh, to be getting the test driving sessions that Haas has to have, like per the F1 regulations, um, I I always would, it, or not always, in this situation I would prefer to see a driver that is maybe up and coming that Haas would like to see drive for them potentially or, or give someone um, new an opportunity as opposed to bringing Antonio in because that's the I think the idea of these having each team be required to have two FP1 sessions where they have a reserve or some other driver drive for them I think it's a uh, those are times better spent on kind of unknown talent and testing that out especially in the case of antonio giovinazzi where yeah it was very underwhelming in formula one very underwhelming in formula e eight dnfs is a whole lot if it was an individual that was like really hot and for whatever reason just all of the seats were taken up you know maybe for whatever reason, a year has excess talent where, man, this guy should have a drive, but he doesn't. Um, it, I don't think it's one of those scenarios. So, yeah, I'm with you. It does feel kind of odd that they would go back to a known quantity. And not only that, a known quantity that is like 
just mid, if not like back of the table. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. I, I think it's just a better opportunity given to to someone that they would like to actually test out. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see Antonio ending up back in F one, um, anytime soon, at least. Right. So I, it seems. Like, it's just like, uh, uh, we're required to do it. So, like, we, this guy is like, he's here. So, let's just throw him in the car. Um, so, not, not what I would prefer to see. But my final note before we, uh, we get to the Belgian Grand Prix, uh, talk was just, uh, the Daniel Ricardo saga is coming towards the end of whatever it is. Um, because uh, McLaren, as well as Daniel Ricciardo, announced today that uh, he has agreed that uh, they've mutually agreed that he'll be leaving the team at the end of the season. So um, not just sitting there taking up space. The, uh, McLaren has paid out the final year of his contract to him. So um, he just gets to take the money and run. Um, and maybe we'll see him in the Alpine seat, maybe in the Haas seat. Um but either way, uh, ESPN F1 tweeted out a reminder that Daniel Ricciardo is the only driver to win in a McLaren in, in the last decade. Um, and, yeah, it's just... Uh, it's It would be sad to see him out of F1 because I enjoy watching him race when he's racing well and I enjoy his personality. Um, mm-hmm. But there's just not been enough of that racing well lately to uh to hang on to the mclaren seat at least so yeah and i think the devil's advocate is that especially from hearing testimony from much of the team you know from drivers and engineers and hearing you know what zach brown has to say it sounds like there's a belief that they are behind the curve and are prepared for wins not this year next year or maybe even 2023 but they're looking ahead to like 2024 so there's there's a sense in which maybe the development time of this new like of the new package and the the tail end of daniel ricardo's career just aren't matching up well and maybe if we were still on you know known cars that were pretty honed in you know he he could probably still pull it together I, i would imagine but it seems like some clash of uh clash of timing clash of era a little bit Gotcha. I mean, that that makes sense, and I think um, McLaren probably didn't know that until the regulations were put in place this year, and they, they kind of got to see what they have as a package. Right. Um, I was just looking up, uh, so Lando, uh, his contract goes through 2025, cause, uh, and when you started saying that, because I, I haven't uh, seen much or read much about up on kind of the McLaren side and what they're plans are but with lando i was i was initially thinking oh 2023 2024 like no not competing is uh 
he might leave, but they have him locked in through the end of 2025, so that's uh, that's not something that is too much at risk, I wouldn't imagine, um, for for Lando to leave, because that could uh, could be a big hurt to the team if that were to happen. Yeah, and all things going well, you know, let's say tail end of 2023, 2024, they start winning some races. I imagine that's going to lock him into, uh, you know, a little more loyalty, a little more trust and say like, oh, well, we we did it. Now let's um, now let's race with the thing that we built. That's pretty exciting. Um, So, yeah, I'm interested to see the trajectory of the you know, Lando Norris and McLaren marriage, because they're obviously in it for the long haul with each other here for a little while. So that's that's rather exciting. Um, to your point about Daniel Ricciardo, yeah, I agree. It would be unfortunate if he was out of F1 just from a, like a fan, spectator, enjoy, you know, his interviews uh, point of view. And yeah, um, when he is racing well, it is quite fun to watch. So, um, yeah, let's hope he can find a find a home here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, give me two seconds. My uh, drink just blew up. Oh, damn. That's unfortunate. that's yeah that is what it is so sorry about the uh the weird little break is it like all over your keyboard uh no more under it but we're we're all right just not sure what happened there um anyway getting into the belgian grand prix we're just gonna gloss right over that um the one of the big things this week is uh with the belgian grand prix is we have the new technical directive that is going to uh be actually going into place regarding the porpoising um as we've talked about the raising of the floors and everything there's um Mm -hmm. technical directives that have come through the season that the teams now over the uh summer break have been putting in place and all so that will be the first um, test of that and see and kind of seeing how that affects the teams. It will be interesting. Um, George Russell in an interview said that he feels like Red Bull and Ferrari had pushed the previous regulations um, and all. And he hopes that the, the new technical directive will, uh, kind of bring mercedes well i I don't know if it necessarily brings mercedes up but pulls ferrari and red bull back towards him um i don't know i i wasn't that's not the the kind of thing that i enjoy like reading from the drivers it just seems kind of whiny like oh, I moved to the team that was supposed to be the best, and now they're not winning. These other teams must be doing something, like, that's not right, even though that's, like, pushing regulations and trying to find those gray areas and fine lines is what, like, kind of propels the sport forward. That's what 
like Mercedes has kind of always tried to do. They did, like we've talked about with DOS and different things like that. They're always trying to make innovations that are going to improve their times and everything. Um, I mean, Red Bull spent, I think, over the break, spent uh, about $3 million of their budget cap to create and test with the FIA um, new chassis that are lighter and could just shave off uh, two to three-tenths of a second a lap. Like, that's a lot of money for, for a couple tenths uh, of a lap and everything, but that's what the sport is about and pushing pushing those things forward and finding ways to improve and, and bring yourself to the top. So being like being kind of whiny about it is a little annoying. I thought it was whiny when other teams fought against uh, Mercedes for the DOS system too. I was like, I, I thought it was a cool innovation and the, and the FIA shut that down, so... If it was that much of an advantage where, like, the it was a technology that, let's say, the bottom of six teams couldn't hope to afford in 20 years, you know, and put into development on a on a racing car that that would be something it seems reasonable at least that the FIA would look into and want to regulate unfortunately it does prohibit like true innovation and true like uh well like, yeah the winning in the sake spirit of or whatever like, yeah yeah it, it preserves competitive and integrity in my opinion however you're not wrong in saying that there is um there is there is n- new cutting edge tech coming from the Mercedes side of the garage just as much as, you know, Ferrari are mm. testing new floorboards and new under, I don't know if they would call them under carriages. I think they I think just so. call them the floor, but like, yeah. you know, the, the veins and stuff that they have in the bottom of the floor, you know, that kind of stuff is all the battleground of development and yeah to hear it from the driver it does yeah i'm i'm with you i just i i like george a lot um i think he's a great driver i just the the kind of whininess that i feel like i've seen from him a couple times this year i'm like i'm like george like you you did you did it you went from williams driving a for a really, really bottom of the, the field team to a team that has been successful for better part of a decade, like Mercedes is going to continue to improve and they're going to end up being up there fighting for the top quickly again. Like right. the, the whining about, oh, I think this five second penalty that was handed out for me taking out some, taking Checo out of the race. Or, oh, I think the, like, leave that up to the team bosses. Leave that up to the engineers to, mm-hmm. like, in interviews to be like, be like, yeah, we, this is how we saw the technical directives at the start of the season. We feel like Red Bull and Ferrari with, uh, had their wings, their wings were just a little too flexible or whatever that I don't feel like that was quite in line with the guidelines and yada, yada, yada. Like, as opposed to just being like, ah, this isn't fair. Like, I I 
don't enjoy that as much. Um, but I do enjoy watching George race. So if, if these technical directives do bring Mercedes up there competing for wins again, it's going to be a, a fun second half of the season to see three teams competing very closely for, uh, for each and every race. And then a pretty competitive battle, depending on what goes on with McLaren, a pretty competitive battle for four. Um, so just an interesting top half of the table overall. I think, I think to continue on your point just a little longer is unfortunately we don't hear from the engineers or the development side of the garage because i would love to hear that thing from an engineer mm-hmm. right yeah but from a driver it feels a little bit like yeah yeah but you still like you got to just race them anyway like relax yeah you know like, I, like that's somebody else's concern right exactly and like yeah. he wasn't he wasn't making comments about any of this stuff when he was in the Williams it's now that he's like I'm right at the edge of being there I I, the the wins could come maybe if if these other teams uh, are slowed down to some extent like I I get the competitiveness but I don't I don't appreciate frustration maybe too where it's like yeah but he's a he seems like such a in generally like well-rounded persona um at he definitely has had his moments of getting heated. Um, but in general, I think he, he's a pretty well-spoken guy. And so coming out and making comments like that, I'm like, eh, I, not, not the most exciting for me. But, I mean, Mercedes is only 30 points back from Ferrari right now. They're going to be in the heat of the competition. So um, it, it's going to be a fun second half. Uh, starting off with the Belgian Grand Prix this weekend. Yeah, and let's cast our minds back to 2021, if we remember. Now, if I remember correctly, we did a race companion for this one last year, didn't we? Um, so, I think we may have... I remember sitting there with you on Discord, just but... watching it rain... I think that if I, I would have to look back. I can't remember if this is one we did or if it was one that we like started and then it hit like a red flag because of rain and we were like, we don't know how long this is going to last. And then hmm. it, there was, I'm pretty sure there was one race where we were watching and going to do a companion and then this like rain and whatnot red flag the race for longer than we were able to just hold out on for a pause um i don't recall if it was this one but nonetheless in yesteryear esteban Ocon finishing p1 um seb vettel coming across the line in p2 and then being disqualified because of a fuel um weight issue or not having enough fuel to test or something weird like that after the race that ended up DQing mm. him uh that bumped Lewis up to P2, Carlos up to P3. Um so so that was three free points that Lewis got last year for all the people out there from Seb just not having enough fuel. <laughs> Well, 
No, last year was last year got rained out. Did it? Wait. I bet money. Twenty twenty one spa rained out george russell p2 oh you're i am i was looking at what am i looking at i was looking well, at belgium my bad yeah so no we sorry that was a whole wait spa is in belgium yes that's what was throwing me off it was Wait a second. Professional Formula One adjacent podcast. Seriously, where? With all of the information here. I was looking, I think, at the Hungarian Grand Prix at the Hungaro Ring. Gotcha. Pretty far off. Yeah. Because that was the most recent. So I was looking at Hungarian Grand Prix from last year as opposed to Belgian Grand Prix. So my apologies. I'll let you take the lead on this while I figure out what happened last year. Yeah, while Aaron gets his notes together, clearly clearly not in the same time zone here. So last year we had a pretty like a pretty wacky qualifying in the sense that george was able to get it get a really nice lap in get p2 i think before the rains came in no nah, i think it was right at the so i it's it's coming to me it's coming to me. <laughs> so i'm pretty sure what happened was uh at the end of the session it the rain was lightning light was decreasing george uh was able to put in a really just good lap on got just the right set of tires right time Mm. as the rain was lessening up uh and then and went to the top of the board and then um uh max put in just a, a banger of a lap and uh knocked him down by uh to second right at the end gotcha 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 okay and the reason the reason i started there was because the qualifying ended up being you know it ended up being the race is going into sunday it's just dropping buckets for hours on hours they i think they tried to re they tried to start the race like two maybe three times and they were like nope it's just too wet out there so they did two laps under safety car for what they called like a classification just to get points um i overall in 2021 when we were back after 2020 where it was you know lack of fans and this and that back in 2021 rained out we don't even get to see it um not much of a race so i'm saying all of this to say coming up this weekend i'm hoping for uh less water well i unfortunately believe from what i've seen uh that we're looking at some wet weather for this week as well very Um, cool very cool so it very easily could end up playing a part hopefully not as much as last uh as last year because yes um having a sort of fake race for half points that doesn't let anyone have the potential to change their position is just not what we are watching f1 for i know it's part of like 
what happens, and that's just the way that it shook out. But that's not the fun part of watching F1. <laughs> Definitely, and not on a track that you want to see that happen on either. Like, maybe there's a track that you could take it or leave it, but that's a um, quite a historic one, quite an exciting track uh, to race on. So, yeah. I agree. Don't want that to happen. And uh, a track that has had a lot of talk of it dropping from the F1 calendar um, recently as well, which would be um, sad to see. I think a lot of people enjoy it being a part of the the calendar every year and, and seeing races there. But um, there's been, with the increasing interest in other areas to have races in and f1 kind of looking at what could potentially go i know spa is one that's been considered um but hopefully that won't be the case hopefully we get to enjoy many spa uh, races because i know that you and i both enjoy it you've enjoyed it for a long time uh from other racing games that you've uh played before getting into f1 um so yeah i'm i'm just looking forward to f1 being back uh, I was so excited. I was already looking towards the uh, the next two because we've got a triple header. We've got Netherlands coming up right after Belgium and then Italy thereafter. Uh, so a lot of uh, quick races back to back to back. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think my one contention, just to stick on your point about them taking it off the calendar, I think my one contention with it would be the you lose the t- like you begin to lose the texture of the calendar. Then if like Monaco and Spa have to go because they're like they have elements to them that you're not getting at other tracks like the distance of Mm. spa and the some of the high speed sections are some of the quickest on the calendar i don't know i don't know if it's ever anything that they would fully nix i could understand like leaving it off for like a year or two years and do a repave or this or that you know that that makes sense to me i i get that but it seems like just a useful track as far as competitive integrity goes over the course of the long season mm-hmm. that uh, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to get rid of it just from that perspective. Well, yeah, and I, I don't mean permanently getting rid of it when sure. I said that, but just uh, dropping it off the current like schedule, oh, yeah. how it's been that- a, um, a consistent yearly um, mm-hmm. race for, for some time now. Um, so I think, yeah, the idea of that going away, it's a fun track. And I, I agree with you on the side of like the competitive integrity or the competitive nature of it because, like you said, it has it's a very different track. It's a very long track. It has uh, some really steep hills and inclines. It has some mm-hmm. really high-speed turns. Um, and I think that, seeing that seeing a race like monaco like you had mentioned on the track where it is very difficult to pass very slow corners kind of the exact opposite um the variety of f1 
and the adaptation of the cars and the drivers and all to the different circuits that they race on is just as much a part of it as it is to see a fun race every single week. Like, right. uh, if not more valuable in terms of the, the comp competitiveness of the sport, um, mm-hmm. as like an overall driver and, and yeah. team. And what would you say, like the competitive landscape of the sport? Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to describe it. I mean, you're looking at the, like, I, I mean, the adaptations and things like that. That's that's what makes a good sports team in general is being able to adjust your team, your personnel, your plan to a certain team that you're facing a certain circuit a certain situation a certain golf course whatever it is being able to adjust and be adaptable to that and compete just as at just as high of a level as you could on something that favors your style um i think is a is a super important part of f1 as well as any sport i mean any Mm -hmm. any team that's preparing for uh, a season of in in the nba a season in the mlb in in the nfl you're looking at your schedule and you're week by week going through prep and preparation and uh, watching film and practicing and all based on what you are up against if a team's not good at that they're just going to get Crush, League of Legends. If a team can only play one style of League of Legends, other teams are going to figure them out and they're just going to end up at the bottom of the table, knocked out of, not make playoffs, not make anything, making except roster moves at the end of the season to, right. to find new players. So, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely would not want to see Spa leave the calendar. Um, Permanently, anyway. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing it drop off for for some interesting races here and there, um, but I do enjoy seeing it, and I'm looking forward to to this weekend. I definitely agree, and like you said, triple header coming up after that. Um, stay tuned. I know we have episode 100 coming up. We're gonna do something a little special for that. Um, so just keep your eyes peeled. But uh, yeah, just looking forward to Spa this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, anything else before uh, we move along into the League of Legends matches and playoffs this week? No, I don't think so. We've got a lot to talk about here. Um, We hit one series from each of the regions. In LPL, we watched RNG versus EDG. LCK, we watched Gen.G versus Live Sandbox. And then um, over in the NALCS, our home region, uh, Cloud9 versus CLG. And just my up-top comment... I think we had some pretty exciting matches. Yeah, uh, it was it was very competitive League of Legends. It was fun to watch, um, even though uh, the LCK and LPL uh, neither of those series went the full five like in the LCS. Um, it was they were still really really fun uh, series to uh, or best of fives to watch over in those regions as well. But kicking it off in the LCS, like you said, we had C9, CLG. I was watching, um, I, I watched 
the third, fourth, and fifth games live. Um, it was uh, I caught caught it a little late, but was uh, able to watch those through, and it was it was a really fun matchup to watch going back and forth. I thought Cloud Nine was going to to kind of be able to go into game four and close it out. Um, but CLG was was fighting back at every turn, uh, taking it to a full five games. And the champion picks, uh, I think, are starting to diversify a little bit, um, especially in the top lane. We're seeing a lot of shifts uh, from what we had been seeing in the meta Um not as much of the the Nar, the Gwen is uh, falling out of favor a little bit as well with some of the uh, the changes to the meta and everything. Um, no more gangplank. No more gangplank. So that's been uh, that's been kind of interesting to see, um, along with the the jungle meta especially. I think that um, even though we've seen a lot of the the same matchups there, it's been a, a pretty significant shift from what we were seeing earlier on in the season uh until now we i mean earlier in the season viego was the most dominant we were seeing some kindreds we were getting uh just a a little bit different style of champion as opposed to what we're seeing now a bit more consistently yeah and just to follow up on the jungle here i really did not enjoy the red side vi um there was something there was something about the red side picking it up where they were not able to create enough pressure and not only not only just side like sided when contracts had the trundle in game two and blabber was on the vi there was the moment early in the game where clg looked to turret dive fudge in the top lane blabber was like coming up from jungle and the pillar from contracts was so heads up like mid charge he just pillared the vi stopped it blabber does no damage and then does nothing for the rest of the game like it was kind of surprising how much these teams are opting into a like one-dimensional champion similar to a Xin Zhao, but without the defensive capabilities that he has with the with the alt to to say like some of you can't hurt me at least so there is an element to it doesn't feel like the strongest pick even though so many teams are prioritizing it and then on top of that contracts in my opinion had the better of that matchup like he at least on the trundle side of the matchup he was definitely uh, like outplaying that that jungle uh for the third time in a row matchup yeah and with the with the vi and the trundle i think the the thing that we're seeing with the trundle is he is kind of it, it like I don't know if this is the the most apt comparison, but he he has become kind of like the Oriana of the jungle to me to some extent, where he is 
kind of just generally viable and like he has a specific he's very control oriented like your pillar is the most important ult just like a well-placed ball and shockwave um you have the ability of being like a very well-rounded kind of jungler you have some tankiness you have decent damage you have some disruption um your ultimate can be utilized to, to kind of just w push and win team fights uh, based on what the comp that you're facing is and everything. Um, so I think that that, as we're seeing it go into the playoffs, seeing more and more matchups, we're seeing that as kind of a generally um, kind of safe, pick to to fall back to that's not really yeah. necessarily a comfort pick for for players more of a just like the pickets not comfort in terms of their playability but comfort in terms of knowing that this champion will be impactful throughout the game um and so i i do find it interesting how much that's coming in and like you said it definitely had the better of the vi in both game one and game two uh on both sides of of the matchup yeah so quite quite interesting in that sense and then we saw um we saw a contract stick to it on red side again blabber stick to it on red side again contract stick to it on red side again um so obviously a lot of priority on the trundle uh for the jungle but eventually like you had said there are certain champs that are just going to fall into that slot um game after game and like you had said trundle does feel like a very just a plus tier champion that's going to be good in a lot of scenarios a lot of teams are picking tanks in at least one if not two or three roles sometimes um so his alt's always going to have a lot of value um but coming off like specifically of this jungle matchup i think there was just a lot of fun stuff the uh the mid lane matchup with palafox prioritizing the um silas really enjoying that and then going for the yone he was it felt like he was playing a more like assassin style flavor uh in the matchup as opposed to jensen who was going for like control mages and then a game on ari yeah and i think i think a big part of that that we got to see was that jensen is comfortable being kind of the lower priority lane um and he is comfortable on those control mages and whatnot in the mid lane the the oriana the azir um the leblanc a little bit more of an assassin but still uh, a kind of a comfortable pick for most mid laners um and he by doing that allows the other lanes to really um be able to to try and have more impact in in game one the the Sivir Amumu that is uh, a pretty strong lane in the bot lane going up against the Zeri Lulu you need to have the ability to put jungle pressure down in the bot lane they weren't able to really get it going in that um, but either way or sorry the I was looking at game two um, but the picks from Zven 
across the series were also um, pretty interesting to me. You see, and this is why I love best of fives, which we don't get in NA uh, until playoffs. But, I mean, we have, in game one, we have uh, Sven playing the Ash support along with the Callista. Um just completely dominating, especially in the the matchup with the Renata Siver on the other side. You have um, a, a huge damage advantage early from the uh, the passive of the Callista, where if the Ash and Callista both hit damage onto a champion, it gets that extra proc of damage. That is so big in trades early. The Ash has so much range uh, that she's able to to kind of maintain. You have, uh, like, Ash as a support is a really just uh, interesting pick, and I don't think we've really seen it from anywhere else as far as I'm aware. But Sven, um, of course, being a AD carry main previously in his career, uh, I think is comfortable on it. You have a lot of good vision control. Your ult can be so impactful. Um, and so I thought that was a, a pretty good and interesting draft choice. He plays the Amumu game two. He's on Nautilus game three, back on the Ash game four, onto Lulu in game five, just kind of bouncing back and forth onto, he plays four different champions in five games. And that's uh, impressive as a whole to me, along with, suit being able to suit his team in all the different styles that they're playing yeah and the way they were drafting it it shows that they're looking to be dynamic in a couple um a couple of slots couple of different flex positions uh while maintaining status quo and others like the game four where they brought out the um where they brought out the draven for berserker didn't end up working out that well but um it's 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 evident that these teams have have a plan at least uh coming in with some of these less seen um champion picks like the ash for uh for sven i think one thing that came up for me in the clg c9 matchup was the sloppiness around the baron it felt like a lot of the matches were decided by not the baron play but the the sequence directly after the baron where mm. either the team like pushed too far in or you know didn't didn't turn and run away they turned and fought like the moment i think it was in the final game where luger he like dove over the like the blue side wall near baron gave up a kill 4v5 cloud nine has the advantage now yeah. so some just really sloppy play around the baron i think from both sides honestly um the one game it felt like where clg had gotten two barons it felt like cloud nine was gonna win that game like for for a small percentage of it so while i think the teams were evenly matched it wasn't like a perfect series by either of them mm -mm. To, to by any stretch of the imagination um so yeah, I think that's that's just one thing I would like to say. Yeah, and that the game two that you're talking about that CLG won, I think um, that played into why I felt like after C9 won game three, um, pretty pretty decisively, I'd say after uh, after hanging pretty close for a bit, um, 
I thought they were going to take game four because game two was so, so close. Like you said, CLG had two Barons. Um, they were up a, a number of kills, and every time they were they were fighting, it was just uh, kind of tooth and nail to see who was going to come out. Um, I think they're just wasn't quite enough like you said from blabber on the vi to to do what we've seen the vi do in other regions which is to be able to kind of roam around with some teammates and just blow someone up to get a pick and then start a fight from there um it's tough to be able to do that when you're behind on the vi because you the ability to to go in and kind of keep yourself alive is you just don't have that like you do if you're ahead uh so being able to go for those picks at the risk of a second third person showing up for the other team kind of puts you at a detriment uh, a good bit there but um but yeah cloud nine was able to to kind of bring it around uh game uh game five play uh, a pretty both teams playing a pretty cautious play style to kind of not uh, step over the line, and it was it was still pretty back and forth. Uh, I was I was on the edge of my seat watching Game Five uh, and kind of seeing where that went. I think uh, unfortunately for CLG, I think the Vex pick was their kind of detriment that that kind of led to the end of that game they weren't able to get palafox going on it and then uh if i'm remembering correctly a pick on to palafox on the vex ended up um kind of turning the the game into c9's favor there towards the end Mm -hmm. yeah and the lane phase the lane phase was pretty well in jensen's favor i think from the beginning um so uh if the vex pick was going to be an x factor jensen jensen kind of shut that down um and then we see we see blabber go back to viego which has fallen out of favor a little bit but obviously comfort can go a long way in a series like this um so blabber goes back to the viego and plays a little bit of um a little bit more of an aggressive style than some than he was able to accomplish on the Vi, at least anyway, in the series. Um, and then they were able to, uh, you know, pull it out in Game Five. Silver scrapes coming on. Yeah, and uh, the other the other thing I did want to mention before we move along um, mm-hmm. that does really impress me with CLG and why I'm looking forward to see how they kind of move forward and progress in the losers bracket of the the LCS playoffs. Luger looked really really good throughout the series. He is a stud. Him on the Zeri in really all like second through fifth games um looked very good. I mean, Zeri's a good champion, but at the same time he he played it pretty well. Um, some mistakes here and there, but he's a, he's a younger player. Um, but I've been very impressed with him, uh, through that series. And I think that, um, their bot lane there with him and Poom, when they, they get going, um, 
it really frees up a lot a lot of the rest of the team to to be able to kind of play their play style um and so i wouldn't be surprised to see uh clg matching up um and and moving past their matchup with uh golden guardians and the losers bracket to face one of the the teams that are coming down from the the upper bracket there yeah, I think they'll have a pretty strong chance against Golden Guardians. I think they did really well against Cloud9. They showed uh, perseverance, good macro control, and like you had mentioned with Luger, um, they have some pretty you know standout players. And when Contracts is on form, Contracts mm-hmm. is uh, quite a scary jungler to have all you know on the other side. But um, yeah, I think they'll. Um, I think they may be able to surprise down in uh, down in the lower bracket. Yeah, definitely not an easy uh, easy knockout. Um, but for the other series that we had, just uh, to touch on that, TL mm-hmm. th- uh, went three one versus FlyQuest. So uh, in the losers bracket, we have TSM versus FlyQuest, Golden Guardians versus CLG. Uh, and then we'll have EG versus C9 in the upper bracket and 100 Thieves versus Team Liquid uh, in the other. Um, I guess that would be like quarterfinal matchup. Right. So uh, some exciting League of Legends coming for you this coming week. Um, we'll, of course, touch on probably just one of the series and, and just briefly mention how the others went. Um, but any other notes from the LCS and the CLG C9 matchup? No, I don't think so. Just looking forward to talking about the LCK series here that we had uh, between Gen.G and Live Sandbox. Banger of a series. It was... I agree. So much fun. Um, I... I was really impressed uh, from Live Sandbox's side. We didn't really watch them as much throughout the regular season or, or highlight them super well, um, but they looked just ridiculous in this series. DRX played um, played a pretty solid matchup. Deft looked, looked good. Um, I enjoyed seeing the Nyla come out from him, but... Um, but Liv Sandbox was just ready to, to brawl at every occasion. Pause. Did you watch DRX Liv Sandbox from the earlier round, or did you watch Gen G versus Sandbox from the semifinals? I think I watched both, and I think I pulled up the wrong one. Gotcha. Because your note yeah, had no, said... Yeah, my note is Genji. Yeah, no, it was... I watched both. That's okay, my problem. Cool. cool. <laughs> I just pulled up the correct one. Nice. I was going to say... Man, Death, I uh, am just, like, off, like, slightly on each of these notes this week. Brutal. Off just slightly, but definitely on the struggle bus. Uh, that's okay though. We'll uh, we're carrying through. We got a spilled drink on the desk. We've got some uh, fog in the brain. We'll, Seriously, I'm just thrown. We'll get there. Thrown for a loop, but uh, but sorry. So yes, Gen G live sandbox. Um, even more of a contested matchup that also ended up in a in a three one series, but going towards Gen G. Um, yeah, because this was first seed versus third seed. Yes, and so yeah. 
Um, some of my biggest notes were just the well, it was the Zeri, but the the Yumi too, because in game uh, game one and game four. We saw the Yumi pick come out for Lehens in the bot lane, and I know that we we all know that Yumi is annoying and people don't like to face her and she just like sits around. But the the poke that was coming out from her and Ruler in uh, on both the the Sivir Yumi as well as the Zeri Yumi was getting pretty ridiculous in the series to the point where. Um, I felt like a lot of the dragon fights and kind of um, precursor to, to team fights, they were getting some huge poke on uh, a number of champions using Zeri's like bolt of lightning mm-hmm. or whatever that she shoots out along with the uh, slow little curvy snake ability from Yumi. Um, I mm-hmm. don't know the names. I'm going to have to learn those, but... Um, <laughs> but that was that was something that like really stuck out stuck out while I was watching the uh, the matches. Yeah, and it's apparent why it is you know a must pick or must ban champion because um, paired with the other movement speed based AD carries, it is super strong. And then not only does it give you that advantage, it gives you the team fighting skirmish advantage where you hop on to your atrox or your trundle and now all of a sudden they have an extra heal an extra movement speed buff and they're just able to stick to your carries so not only does it give you this poking very tough to deal with bottom lane but it translates super well into the mid and late game so after the success that genji had in game one with it it's no surprise it was banned in games two and three um however that wasn't you know yumi wasn't the only uh what would you say wasn't the only like champion that was doing really well i think lehens on the renata looks really good as well Mm the more i'm seeing that champion paired with some of the top like some of the the better better organized teams you can see the benefit of the uh the handshake that attack speed movement speed steroid like when the players know what's going on there is a utility beyond belief with something like that the the crowd control she offers the ultimate it's all very very strong um so i say that to say lehens is not just a cat main he had other champions that he could go to when the yumi got banned out and still perform really well and be uh, a piece of utility for his team yeah, and the other thing with the Renata pick from Lehens that I really like to see, and so this is this is something that is just a very, um, I mean, fun and scary part of this Gen G team is one they know how to draft uh, some comps really well. I really like the way that they um, structure their their team comps and everything and like in game two where they have the renata zeri in the bottom lane the team fight potential that you have from the rest of the team and the team comp just Mm -hmm. 
emphasizes that Renata so well because you are looking to kind of roam around as a, a group of five. You're looking to bring in the Orn ultimate to, to cause disruption, put CC out there. You've got Peanut on the Wukong doing the same thing. Um, and then, of course, you have Lehens who's able to, to throw out um, the ultimate on Renata. Um, and, and kind of just pull the entire enemy team back into the fight pretty well. Um, I think that they, they drafted really, really well for the Renata pick. Um, and, and to just, like, um, increase the impact of each of their roles. Uh, similarly, just with their drafting, um, like, game one, they have uh some good scaling between the yumi the zeri and the azir um and then you have uh, a strong early game from the atrox uh with the the trundle to kind of help out and although that didn't um didn't help peanut quite as much through the game doran was able to get ahead ahead of dove which was kind of a um consistent effort in this series to to pick on dove and push that top lane lead uh and bring a lot of that pressure around the map yeah and that was the consistent weak point for sandbox was their top laner dove um we see him on the sejuani game one renekton games two three and four um so not a whole lot of depth there as far as the champion pool goes and a lot of times just playing weak side um just falling prey to you know peanut and doran just visiting him over and over and that was really how genji developed a lot of their advantages and then were rather aggressive and quite uh quite prepared come the team fight times um we saw just a good amount of fights won by the mobility of ruler and the protection offered by the rest of the squad just free firing for days um so they they exposed the weakness of sandbox uh to be fair where it seemed like every other role was standing up quite well like one to one um except that top lane matchup was quite weighted in uh the doran peanut favor yeah and genji like looked at their win conditions and kind of i think knew that i think they sure. look at the chovy closer matchup you're seeing similarly to the lcs a lot of those mid lane mage pickups that are not going to necessarily net a lot of um early game kills and uh 1v1 or 2v2s in the mid lane um the azir the silas the azir the ari um coming out in each of the games um so having that consistency in the mid lane the the scaling mid lanes you allow the ability to to pressure that top side and like you said with gen g the the most concerning part about them for other teams is that once they have a lead they just don't let up the pressure and they continue to just fight you at every single turn and objective they 
once they have a lead, they kind of know it, and they are just pushing themselves forward and taking fights around the map and and playing a really solid macro game because they're able to to match you at every single um objective that you that you try to take they don't really um i felt like i wasn't seeing them trade as many objectives as just watching them kind of fight for each and every objective Mm -hmm. yeah i think um I think that kind of hits the hits the nail on the head of the Genji playstyle. There, um, there was a bunch of you know a bunch of solid comeback plays from Sandbox throughout throughout all of the games. Even in the even in the games that they were down, there were uh, some pretty solid attempts made. But yeah, it seemed like uh, Genji had relative control over the game um, once they you know once they took took the advantages. Yeah, and Prince uh, Prince looked really good throughout the series. I was impressed with uh, with his play. Um, Prince and Ruler, I'm sure there's a joke somewhere there, but uh, Ruler ended up mm. uh, coming out on top. But I, I really do think that um, Prince is a, a very solid um, bot laner, and I think in the upcoming... Um, I guess we will see them in the, uh, regional finals, um, to see if they can make a run. I, I would imagine that they're going to put up a pretty good fight for that, that third world spot for, uh, the LCK. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. They, um... I think they played a relatively good series. Prince was pretty standout on the nyla in game three obviously his team just like was just beefs around him and then he could just dive in and do all the damage which is kind of what they lined up for in game two didn't really work out that well um but they were able to put it together in game uh in game three for that comp so yeah i think uh prince had some pretty decent performances and especially in that game three was a total standout yeah so i i expect him to um perform well in the the matchups in the regional finals um on the other side of that bracket we saw t1 face damon uh kia and saw that go to five games uh Mm -hmm. with t1 coming out on top so we do end up with the lovely gen g t1 matchup for uh world's well, I guess for the the LCK finals, I guess at this point both teams have uh, solidified and qualified for Worlds this year. Um, yeah, but, so it's just for the 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 you know playoff victory. Yeah, so to to win LCK, which is not uh, anything to, to shy uh, shy away from in the slightest, they um both have locked worlds and that's uh gonna be a good matchup for this upcoming week i think we'll um i don't know i i wouldn't be surprised to see five games um but very different play styles from what we've we've seen like we've said with genji and the matchup against live sandbox um just kind of pushing and and 
taking every inch and turning it into a foot and into a yard and into a mile from there where t1 plays just very um very kind of controlled macro where they're moving around well uh trying to take the better trades of objectives trying to take the better trades out of team fights and all uh, so I think it'll be an interesting matchup going into that uh, LCK finals. Yeah, and I'm not sure you could talk about any like difference in skill at any of the roles. I feel like it will be just a just a heavyweight slugfest overall, where in every role it's pretty. Um, you're talking about the top of the table, really, and um, and that's pretty exciting. Looking forward to the uh, Faker uh, Chovy matchup. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be exciting to see, especially after Damon took T one to five games. I don't know if uh, if that's what most people expected to kind of come out of that, but um, a really exciting finals coming up in the LCK. Um, but moving over into the LPL, we were looking at the uh, RNG versus EDG series. The LPL has moved faster than lightning. By the time we got to to that series, we had already gone through two round entire rounds of the playoffs, um, and have gone through even more since then. Um, yeah. So EDG had uh, had won a series against FPX to make it uh, up against RNG for that matchup, um, and. That was just, I I don't know about you, I just really enjoyed this matchup as a whole because it was just non-stop action kind of throughout the, the matchup and very, very competitive on both sides. Yeah, quite. We have the this year's msi winners in rng going up against last year's world winners in edg and quite uh quite exciting here in the matchup but yeah when we're when we have these these china games they're going like all throughout the week where our like like watch time is on the weekends right so while we're like planning the week ahead games are just going continually well and the Um, the toughest part about it too is i don't like picking it so for, for a little behind the uh, the curtain of the wizard here for everyone, we behind the scenes. we after the Wednesday episode pick what matchups that we uh, on Thursday pick the matchups that we are going to watch for the next week, and so a matchup that we have picked uh, could easily have already come seeing the team go on to the next round and play in the next round matchup before we even get to talk about it because of the way the LPL um, season and kind of timing goes Uh, or just like the it's just it's bizarre or like the the other side of it is the series that I'm picking typically I don't want to know what's already happened so we we could potentially be missing out on other matchups that maybe are uh have been more competitive or more exciting because I don't want spoilers so uh so it's fun to to watch but the 
EDG RNG series was just uh, nonstop edge of the seat. And this is where we get to see the, the Vi kind of do what it's supposed to mm-hmm. um, as yeah, opposed to what we saw in the LCS seeing um it picked well with other other champions that are ready to dive or to keep it keep it steady keep it alive um whether it's the the yumi the orn um seeing it with the silas and renekton like you're you're pairing it up well with champions that are looking to go aggressive and and go for those picks um that will be able to kind of start off team fights and i think that was edg's biggest uh like boon for themselves throughout the matchup was just being able to utilize the team comp to get those picks early on uh in the fights and kind of go from there um with an advantage into into that next stage of the team fight yeah, I think, well, I guess my point more goes kind of back to the early game, but a little bit on the comment of the of the team comp. With the, with the Vi in the jungle, you saw them on level one do the, do the invade to where they were looking to get, they were looking to go up a blue buff and try and, and try and get the three buff going. Um, so it's clear that, you know, with this draft, they, they had a clear plan, uh, with, with what they wanted to do. And you're right. I think, uh, into the mid game, they were able to, um, you know, carry that out, get a bunch of picks. And I think what was interesting about this team comp where you talk about going aggressive, it felt like scout was playing a different, um, a different Azir than we've seen other players do. It felt like a little more aggressive. He was more willing to do the Sharima shuffle like towards players. Maybe not necessarily like for the bounce back, but like just to get in there, get the shield up, and get those sand soldiers attacking. So it felt like Scout's Azir was a little different than what we've seen here previously. So I think that was pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, I would definitely agree. He was he was and with that like nonstop willingness to to team fight and from both sides RNG as well as EDG, um, it it really did uh, kind of help EDG that Scout was willing to go in and I mean not all the time die but to kind of be part of their engage and all to to get in and try and create something for the team um and edg uh or uh, sorry rng on the other side their willingness to fight gave them a lot of opportunities to try and climb back and it was interesting to see from both sides um kind of how that works out because rng was consistently going for it and just uh edg coming out just ahead um, but in game three, it kind of was the opposite. Extremely close team fights. No matter how far behind EDG was, mm-hmm. they were able to um, kind of utilize their their champions, their vision control, and things like that to to attempt to level the playing field a little bit. 
Um, but each time we were, we were kind of seeing that go towards the team that uh, had the, the slight advantages in the game. Um, I was, or I will say, I think one thing that I was not as impressed with from RNG's side was their mid lane picks um, that they had. I felt like Zhao Hu was just not playing as impactful champions as I would have liked to see. Uh, in game one, he's on the Galio, which we really have seen fall out of uh, the meta. It's not really a, a common pick anymore. The Oriana was up. There were other other mid laners that could have, and, and they did pinch the, the mid lane champion pool pretty heavily in the draft. You see the Ari, the LeBlanc, the Silas, and the Lissandra all being banned out. But you do have the Oriana. You do mm-hmm. have other picks that I think would do better for you as opposed to kind of this wombo combo or with the wukong uh kennen and galio Mm -hmm. or even in game two on the lissandra you're looking at a, a pick that is not as common and you do give your your team that that lockdown but only of a single champion at where you have the Gwen who's diving, the Nami Lucian who is close range and everything. And I don't know if the Lissandra really gives you quite enough to be able to um, lock people down or, or kind of cause the commotion in the team fight to allow your team to to hit i think and similarly an oriana with a shockwave on multiple people is going to be way more impactful than just ulting a single target um especially versus a vi that is kind of looking to do the same from the other side and just blow up a single target um i think that rng could have gone uh, a bit differently with their their mid lane picks for Zhao Hu, and sure. that could have changed uh, or um, given them a better shot in those specific uh, matchups. Sure, yeah, I think I I think I might agree with that. Um, maybe it's a little bit of comfort for Zhao Hu. I know he um, really enjoys the Galio, really enjoys the Lissandra. So maybe that's just kind of what they know, what they're used to playing. But uh, yeah, back to your point about adaptability. Um, maybe those were not the uh, not the picks here for for the series. Now EDG goes up games one and two, two zero in the series, um, and then we bring it back to game three where they put Flandre on a Vladimir. Everything else pretty standard, but we get Zhaohu on the Talia and uh, Breathe on Fiora, and just goes eight zero and two. Really, uh, kind of flips the script for the for the series there. Yeah, and uh, with Flandre on the Vladimir, uh, it it's a kind of a weird pick out of context, but the Fiora Vladimir is considered to be uh, a lane counter pick to the Fiora. So you're looking at that in isolation. 
the problem was the game is not played in isolation. You're seeing the the Talia, you're seeing the Vi really target um, Flandre on the Vladimir, um, whether he's in the bot lane pushing out waves and farming up, you're seeing them put pressure and look to dive on him as the, the target to kind of blow up and give them a 5v4 um, mm-hmm. opportunity. And they kind of uh, did what... Um, we saw Genji doing to to Dove on Live Sandbox in that game, and just targeting him out to uh, to give yourself the um, numbers advantage and all leading into those objective team fights and kind of um, uh, just giving yourself advantages uh, leading up to that. Yeah. Speaking of uh, getting advantages, Xiaohu was really looking to play the top lane uh, for RNG, where a couple of roams topside gets the gets the nice little flick on Flandre, gets breathe ahead, and at the same time, you know, when you're watching Xiaohu run up to the top side, you're seeing JJ head down to the bottom lane, trying to get a gank down there with Viper and Mako, and all the while, JJ is not getting much done. Uh, Xiaohu gets a couple of solid roams up to the top lane and like really jump starts that matchup um to where flandre picked the vlad after seeing the fiora i believe um and then just in game in game play tilts the matchup back in the other favor and i mean breathe goes like i said eight oh and two i he really took over that matchup with the help of jauhu yeah, he he definitely did, and um, Flandre did last pick the Vladimir versus the Fiora, so it was I think just a um, pure lane counter kind of uh, kind of pick. I think at that point they probably weren't sure what uh, what else to throw at the Fiora, but they RNG played towards that super super well. Um, and having, having Xiaohu on that, that's kind of where Xiaohu is best suited in the mid lane. And so I think there is a little bit of difficulty for him with the current meta because he does like to play these roaming and, mm-hmm. um, more supportive mid laners where you do currently, um, I think, kind of need something that gives a little more uh, DPS as opposed to supportive abilities. But if you get ahead, like he was able to to help Breathe get ahead on the Fiora while he's playing the, the Talia, he's able to then utilize those advantages, utilize the ults and everything super well to um, to be able to get into fights, to cut off certain angles, um, and kind of propel the team forward. It's just that ability to get ahead is, is typically not there in the current meta with those mid lane picks. It worked mm-hmm. out very well with them uh with them getting breathe ahead in this matchup and it snowballs very very consistently um it gives you the ability to control a lot of the map um it just does worry me a little bit that they 
don't seem to have adapted to to the current meta super well um i mean after winning msi they are now in a position where they may not make worlds they're kind of hanging on other people's results and other teams results uh to be able to make it into uh into worlds yeah, not a great, uh, not a great position to be. Obviously, that game three is the only, uh, only game that they win in that series. EDG takes it three to one after a pretty dominant, uh, pretty dominant game four, eighteen to three being the kill score, up by like fifteen k goal by the end. Just, uh, just a pretty dominant game there at the end. So yeah, questionable or lots of question marks for RNG as we come up to you know these world slots they're um they're a top of the table team that is pretty far away from being at the tournament at the top of the table which is quite interesting yeah and i don't it's not super common to see the i don't know if it's ever happened that the team that has won msi misses out on worlds i feel like skt t1 back in the day may have done that at one point um where they had uh, one MSI and then missed out on Worlds because uh, I think they're the only team that I can think of that would have potentially done something like that. But um, hmm. but I mean I, I would have to look at it. Uh, but it's very very strange because you know that RNG has a really really good team behind them um, and they can perform on the world stage. They have good experience. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll just have to see how that shakes out, but, um, kind of coming through some of the other matchups from the LPL, we have, um, uh, LNG who has just gone on, uh, a run from the round one winning against Billy Billy gaming, then beating Weibo gaming, then beating V5, uh, and eventually now losing to JDG, uh, in round four. Um, we have LNG. They made it far enough where they're able to drop down. Yes, so they made yeah. it made it the distance to to drop into the losers bracket. So we see them now. Uh, EDG lost to Top Esports three to two in the matchup mm-hmm. after the RNG EDG series. So we now have EDG and LNG in the losers bracket there. They have Top Esports and JDG in the semifinals up in the top side of the uh, the playoff bracket. Um, so a couple of good matchups. And like I said, lots of matchups that have kind of gone on over. I mean, we've gone through four rounds of playoffs in a week's time or so, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty wild. So uh, some still some good lpl matchups to come and then of course we'll have the regional finals for the lpl as well um but i am very much looking forward to to seeing the upcoming matches and uh who ends up gonna uh fighting for that finals win uh in the lpl yeah looking forward to the close of lpl and then um once once that you know kicks off then we'll see who matches up against each other uh going into worlds and i think no matter what team 
um, no matter what team from LPL makes it, I think it's going to be uh, pretty exciting. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, things still to be decided at the end of that LPL bracket. There's a lot up in the air. Um, so I think that'll be pretty exciting. But yeah, as we uh, come to the close here of our episode, Aaron, I have been playing some League of Legends of my own. And I just How wanted to kind of... Oh, Get, I know, dude. Going back, falling into the trap, man. Well, it's not it's the not. trap. It's not the rank trap. It's, um, you know, it's just it's just ARAMs. It's the, you know, it's the... What would you say? The lazy river of the of the game. <laughs> that's, that's a good description of it. How is, how is the lazy river? Have you been luxuriating in the sun? How, uh, what's, uh, what's the meta like? How, how are your champion picks? You know, all the, the good things of ARAM. <laughs> well, I have a champion ocean, obviously. Um, it's going really well. I pretty much just play until I lose. And recently I went on like a five or six win streak. And in one of those games, I got the almighty Blitzcrank. So, you know, we got the, we got the god hand going out. And... I'm pretty sure it was game like four or five in that like six game run. So I was pretty well warmed up and I shit you not right from the beginning up until the game. Let's say the game was like 27 minutes long up until like 25 minutes. I did not miss one single hook, literally just landing every single one that I threw out. And most of them were like backbreaking, getting kills, burning flashes, like it was it was huge up until the point that after we took down the first turret the renekton typed in the chat hooks on point blitz and i was like smitten i fell in love i was like i gotta get this guy on my team well that's what you were saying too with uh with a rams before when we were talking before the the episode was you people don't really talk much in in the arams it's it'll pretty, say anything it's a pretty quiet scene out there everyone's yeah, big time. bunch of bunch of uh late 20s probably mid 30s guys who are just like casually trying to enjoy it and, and have way a good past time our prime way past our prime yeah i i think at this point i'll i'll let you say that one so oh, um yeah. but that's uh that's fun and getting a champion that you feel like good on like that and you're just like everything's on is a is a good feeling yeah it was super fun glad i was a positive impact in that guy's life but i didn't just want to toot my own horn i wanted to ask you do you have any comments any small little stories that you could share with the folks about recent victories um well i i think in general i I've been taking a little, or not taking time away from gaming as much, but I have been not playing as, as consistently or as frequently as I had to, not for any reason other than just being busy. Um, sure. But I think that has kind of promoted my enjoyment of the games and all. I was playing Call of Duty with, uh, with some of my friends last night. We were having a good time got uh got a win they'd or a couple wins i think they had gotten a few earlier before i hopped on and it was 
I was just like having fun. It, it, at some times, I think games can get just a little too, I, I think when you have a generally competitive nature, which I think most, most folks who play video games like Hunt, League of Legends, Valorant, Call of Duty, have to some extent a competitive itch that they're trying to scratch. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy for you to get frustrated or kind of go the other way with things and, and just get irritated at the game if it's not going well. Um, but I, I've felt recently, for the most part, like I am just like enjoying it, having fun. When we played Hunt recently... Um, I know that I was a bit frustrated at times, but it was more so with my own understanding of the game or, or mm -hmm. like kind of how just not enough playtime on it to be able to say, oh, like this is what I did wrong if I, if I do lose out in a fight or anything, which, uh, makes it more i think the i'm trying to have a mindset of improvement and getting the most out of my play time that i have um and so sure. that has been kind of my my priority recently with gaming is to, to do my best to enjoy it of course the games can be frustrating when you lose oh but yeah that's uh but that's part of the game and it's uh it's been nice to not let that get to me quite as much as I've let it previously in some instances in the sake of me wanting or, or having that drive to get better, but just letting it be less frustrating and more like, okay, let's build on this or, or let's like figure out uh, some different things. I've really enjoyed playing Hunt with you uh, recently and kind of getting to better feel out like what different uh, guns or loadouts or things like that suit me best. And so figuring that out has like increased my enjoyment of that as a whole. Yeah, nice. I think um, I think that's a mentality that would help a lot of people out. That insight, I think, is um, yeah, I think it would be good for people to hear. That's uh, really good. Just get the most out of the thing that you're doing. Um, Took me a long time to get here, though. So if sure. you uh, if you spend some time raging at video games, trust me, I've been there too. So sure, but uh, maybe people can use your long road to uh, you know to that as uh, their little shortcut. But yeah, I think that's great. Um, the only other things I really wanted to comment on: we have uh, 2022 champions for Valorant coming up at the end of this month. Um, that and along with a major for CS:GO, I believe towards the end of October. I think that's going to be held in Rio. For whatever reason, I'm looking forward to that. I have a feeling I'm going to tune in at least to like the later stages. I don't know how much I care about the group stage and all that. But um, yeah, I think I'm going to tune in to that. So just some things on the schedule to look forward to. But other than that, I'm excited to hear your flavor of the week, Aaron. 
Sounds good. I will, uh, I'll keep it pretty short. I don't, it's not too in depth, but, uh, my music for this week, um, there's a song called Beverly Blues by Opia that I, it's come on, I, I added it to my, uh, summer playlist that I've been working on and it's come on a couple times recently when I'm listening to it and it is just a bop. That's all I've got to say about it. I've been jamming to it. It's fu- it's a fun song, energetic. Nice. I like it. So that's Love my it, music for my food. Um, Colleen and I went and got sushi with her mom and dad last night. Um, we had been talking about it with her dad. He's a big sushi guy, and it had been uh, a conversation of finding a time for the past like month or two. And so we finally just were like, Weekends aren't going to work. Let's just find a weeknight that we can go out and grab uh, some good food. So we did that awesome sushi at the the spot we went to. Colleen's mom is not a big sushi person, so uh, she she had a bento box, which uh, I recommended because I love bento boxes too. Um, but that was my food for this week. And then for my visual, uh, Game of Thrones has a new show i'm sure lots of people have heard about called house of the dragon that just started this past week and it was uh i think i'm far enough displaced from my unhappiness with how that's the the series ended that i was able to enjoy this it's set uh in a different uh, like 150 years prior um to the game of thrones show and so it was cool learning the new uh cast and characters and all that are in the show uh within that same world and then um i'm looking forward to to kind of where it builds from there but that was my visual medium Uh, i really enjoyed watching the show it was nice to just kind of relax see cool visuals and and kind of get a a nice storyline or a um a little bit of the groundwork laid out for for the series so that is my flavor of the week how about yourself what's been going on what have you been watching eating listening to well First, I would just like to say, I thought the show was called House of the Dragon Soul. That's the uh, that's the League of Legends spinoff. Got him. That's good. Well, <laughs> all right, all right, we'll leave it at that. My uh, my flavor of the week. So I just want to make fun of somebody, and if she ever hears it, she'll know it's about them. Um, so not my music. 90s music so this individual tells me that after a um after a sporting event there was a i love the 90s concert and she was very excited to tell me that uh tone loke was there that vanilla ice performed and like one or two other names from like a hundred years ago and I got so sad. I was like, no way. Like, no way you were excited. She was like, I love blah, 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 blah. She was just like oozing nostalgia. It was dripping out of her eyes, out of her ears. It was crazy. And I just was like, no, that is, that is uh, unfortunate. 
there. So, <laughs> there are... There are parts of the 90s that I 100% like love. Like, my friends and I love a good emo night where you go and you listen to punk rock music and you're jamming out. But it's like a DJ playing it. And I'm not specifically going to go anywhere to see Vanilla Ice perform. No offense to Vanilla. Um, I'm sure he's a lovely gentleman. But I think... In my realm of music at this point, seeing any of that those artists from 30 years ago, now I'm in most cases just going to be like, yeah, I- I'm good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, usually a hard pass for me. Um, but yeah, they were definitely excited, definitely happy to be there. Vanilla Ice is biggest fan, apparently. Um, so yeah, I, that just made me just die of laughter inside. I was like, well, you know, my life is pretty good. He got Snoop Doggy Dog uh, a big break back in the day. So this is true. Who's the real hip hopper, right? So Vanilla Ice laid the groundwork for Snoop to be what he was. So that's that's all I'm saying. Facts. I'll leave it at at that. My food for the week, Sarah hooked it up. She did this like breaded chicken that she was able to like fry up a little bit and get the edges nice and crunchy. And for starters, we did like some buffalo chicken sandwiches. And then afterwards, we had some chicken parm sandwiches. So the story is this basic chicken that she can make, you can add like any sauce to it and it just, you know, becomes like a like a high grade lunchable like chicken patty. It was really great. You guys love soups and sandwiches. I love like a soup and a sammy. I love don't... a soup and a sammy. I'll do a dip, dill pickle on the side, brother. That's oh, yeah. It's so funny because we we really don't do too many sandwiches over over this way. We 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 dodge out on the bread a lot of times. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's it's the healthy choice. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not the most fun choice though. But we like never typically have rolls around unless we'll we'll do burgers on occasion. But you guys gotcha. like thrive on the soup and the or the the soup and sandwiches. I love it. I like live yeah. vicariously through it. Well, I'm happy to uh, <laughs> I'm happy to bring you the soup and sandwich goodness. She like she hooks it up every time. And then my visual medium here for the week, we watched uh, Return of the King. She Ooh. just finished the Two Towers and has started reading Return of the King. I'm like mm. a quarter, a little less than halfway through the Return of the King right now. Um, so we put the put the movie on. You know, we we watched the other ones as well, yeah. but now we're kind of finishing it up. Are you guys um, really reading fun. from the same copy and just have different bookmarks? Uh, that's what she's gonna do. I don't know how well it's gonna work for her. She actually like took a break to go read other things because I think that was about to be a problem, which is hilarious. That that is pretty funny. I love the books. Uh, the movies are, are great too. I that's Return of the King is uh, on the docket for Colleen and I to watch. We have a, an agreement. I think I've mentioned on the podcast where she has to watch those, and I'll watch one of her shows. Dude, um, it's 
four hours. Oh, yeah, and we're watching the extended edition, too. Hell, yeah. Yeah, no, extended edition's the only way. She's made it through um, both uh, Fellowship and the Two Towers. Um, she's she's had an edible to help her enjoyment of it uh, both times. Huge yeah. proponent, proponent of... Uh, so we're ready for the uh, the four hour brawl fest of Return of the King. Yeah, and then a lot of slow mo smiles and giggling right at the end, which oh, is uh, pretty brutal. But yeah, that's my uh, that's my flavor of the week here, sir. Let's get these people out of here. Oh, I know it's so <laughs> bad. It's so bad. Uh, well, to wrap up the episode, uh, of course, thank you everyone for bearing with me and my difficulties this week between my spilled beer. Uh, and multiple incorrect uh, races, matchups, uh, and all. I'll have it together. I promise. I apologize. Uh, but we, we really appreciate, on a lighter note, that you guys uh, enjoy listening, checking it out week after week and all. Um, of course, find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts. Check us out on YouTube. We are on Twitter, of course, at tall and short of one, the number one. Don't forget it. Uh but that is all I have to uh, to wrap out this episode. New episodes every Thursday. Come check us out. We're dropping race companions when it fits the schedule. Um, join the conversation. Join us, like you said, on Twitter. Hit, a, hit us up in the comments. But uh, we just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for choosing Tall and Short of It podcast. Peace out, everyone. Later.